Hey, hey guys, this is Mark Oppigan from Death Angel, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Stay focused, stay metal. Yeah! Hey, Metalhead, Scott here. I'm Richie. Welcoming you to that which we call Focus on Metal. Glad to have you guys back listening to us for yet another week. And we have got another week of great guests for you as uh, we bring you chats with Mark from Death Angel and uh, Metal Allegiance, we'll say as well. And also uh, Jordan from uh, Dream Theater and a lot of solo stuff. And uh, once again, Richie has uh, bestowed upon us a few great interviews and... uh, I know you went uh, around and around the bend trying to finally hook up with Mark and, and dial in a, an interview, but obviously this thing turned out pretty damn good. I mean, great retrospective chat about uh, about Death Angel. Mm. Um, I was not allowed to talk about the new record or ask about it. Yeah. Um, which it didn't bum me out, but uh, I kind of knew I wasn't going to be talking about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I had a certain angle I wanted to go with Mark um, touring. Uh, singers fascinate me when they're on the road because they have to isolate themselves from the madness. Yep. Um, and I wanted to really get into that with him about how he does it. Yeah. Um, yeah, know, I tell you, it sucks if you go play a gig it, and you get there and you've got no voice. It is. Yeah. Oh man, it's, well, we get we get into all of that. We get yeah, into it. Sucks. I mean, yeah. I know personally, it sucks, and it, it sucks even worse when. The other guy who does vocals in the band has equally got no voice. Hmm. Like, but both be it's yeah, it is just yeah, it's demoralizing. Like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, so we got some touring stories. Um, I talked a bit about Metal Allegiance with him, actually more than a bit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was it was great. Uh, I don't know when the record's coming out. And, of course, all of you in uh, in Metal Land know that about a week after we recorded this chat that Death Angel announced their brand new album, Humanicide, due to drop at the end of May. It's it's done. Hmm. Um, I got into uh, Jason Sukoff with him, the producer of the last couple of records. Um, we, got in, we actually got into a lot of, a lot of different stuff. It was yeah, you did. These, um, yeah. It wasn't really structured because yeah. I, I, wasn't, I didn't have mom promoting a new record. Yep. Um, and it was just it was just a fun chat. Another guy I've never spoken to um, in Death Angel. I've met Ted and interviewed Ted. Right. And I've uh, we've interviewed Andy twice. Right. And um, I think this one was almost kind of unique because, like you said, you you had no there was no agenda. There was nothing you were promoting. Uh, it wasn't chronological or it was almost it's basically like. You, you just had a chat with Mark. Mm. I mean, I'm a huge fan of that band. Yeah. And I've been a fan of Death Angel since 87. Yeah. Or 88. The yeah. Falic record was like, holy fuck. Um, but then, of course, we Jordan Rudess was my first uh, in-person interview. Yeah. The last time they came around for The Astonishing, um, I interviewed him in the hotel, and he couldn't have been nicer. Yeah. I spent about half an hour with him. And I was offered Jordan again, and you know he's got the new Dream Theater record. What what do you think of the record? Have you heard it? Just a little bit. Awesome, yeah, amazing. Uh, it's like I'm not a fan of the astonishing. <laughs> a lot all. of people aren't. Right? Um, and that was a funny thing. Like I had, to, I was talking to Jordan, promoting the astonishing, an album that I didn't like. Uh, yeah, much. I almost think of the when I, when I think of that album, I think of that as uh, um, they're like it, that's like they're. Uh, they're Nostradamus. Hmm. But um, the new records, I think it's incredible. Yeah. Um, it just sounds amazing. It's heavier. It's The songs are shorter. It's For a Dream Theater CD not to be 76, 77 minutes says something. Like, yeah. I think this thing is like an hour. Mm-hmm. And I think one song is nine minutes. And mm. there's like three songs that are four and a half minutes. It, it, it flies, but for an album, a Dream Theater album to fly by is saying something, but this one actually is, hmm. you know, yeah. it fly, it flies by, and the songwriting is, is fucking amazing on it. Um, so we talked about that, and then of course he's got um, he's got a solo record coming out in a few weeks, right? Um, 
which he, I don't know, he probably won't have time to actually get and play some live shows for that, even though he wants to. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so Dream Theater, they're out there. They're uh, they're playing a lot of the new stuff in the first part of the show, and then they're playing the whole of the scenes from a memory record. Hmm. That's yeah. 20 years old. Yeah. Um, that'd be that'd be a, a stellar show to uh, to go see. Have you seen Dream Theater live? Yes. Oh, you have? Yeah. When, when did you see him? Uh, a couple years back at uh, at the Pavilion. Uh, God, who are they? I can't even remember what they were opening for. Was it Mangini in the band? Or Portnoy? No, Portnoy was in the band. They were opening for someone? Yeah. I want to say Purple? Okay. Might I saw Purple. Six Degrees, first time I saw him. Hmm. And... My jaw was on the floor with the fucking the playing. Uh, honest to God, I just could not fucking believe. This is a small place. Yeah. And I just couldn't. I was with a couple of friends of mine. And the tr- all, all, we just spent the whole show when the guys, the band were playing, just tapping each other on the shoulder going, fucking hell. Yeah, well, like the musicianship. And I saw him on the dramatic turn of events in mm-hmm. the Orpheum in Boston yeah. with Mangini. And again, that, that album's brilliant as well. Um, they were incredible. Yeah. Um, I didn't go to the Astonishing show. I didn't see him on the self-titled. I, I, they're playing here in a, in a I don't think I'm actually going to be able to go see him on this run either. Mm. But uh, just an incredible live band. Great new record. All right. What do you say we uh, give the folks what they want in uh, first or your chat with Mark and we'll follow that up with your uh, chat with Jordan. Mm-hmm. All Sounds right. Good. Hello. Yeah, hi, it's Richie from Focus on Metal. Yeah, Richie, it's Mark. How yeah, you doing? I'm all right. Is now a good time? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what happened. Must, my, for some reason, my phone went straight to voicemail. I don't know. It didn't ring on my end. So. Okay, okay. I'll call you back now. All right. <laughs> well, I, wanna, I, I went to see Y&T last night with Dave Manichetti, right? And he's 66 years old. Um, was he an influence on you guys years ago, growing up in, in the Bay Area? Oh, growing up in the Bay Area, especially like Earthshaker and Black Tiger, those two records just phenomenal, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It's something you know we would we, those two records when they came out Florida, and um, we you know we would go see them all the time out there. And Dave Manichetti is just such a monster player and a great singer, and he still can do it. You know, mm-hmm. he uh, he they did twenty three songs last night, two and a half hour show uh, with no solos. So he was on stage for the whole show, singing his ass off and, and playing lead guitar. The guy's incredible. Yeah, he's a monster. I, I Yeah, absolutely huge influence. I love those, you know. Those are the two records that really got me. And then, um, well, after that, was that Mean Streak after that? Yeah, Mean Streak was after yeah, Black yeah, Tiger. Mean Streak. Yes, exactly, exactly. So those, those were probably the three. And then after that, we kind of, you know, they kind of maybe lost us the mold, but I mean, that doesn't matter. He's just a, you know, powerhouse musician and now, you know, still, still belting it. I went and saw him not too long ago. He's been just incredible. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit, Mark, about the Christmas shows you do. Um, yeah. I know someone who actually traveled down from Seattle to see one of them. Uh, when did the idea come up for you to do these special shows? You know, I want to say just because, you know, San Francisco, the Bay Area has been so good to us. And it's, it's, it was something that we came up with a few years back. I guess this was the fifth, fifth year, I guess, running. Yeah. And um, what we actually got it from that inspired us to do it was the Beatles, actually. And the Beatles, actually, um, they used to do, when they were starting out, they used to do annual Christmas shows in Liverpool. And then um, from that, we, we took that concept and, um, you know, made it ours. <laughs> But because of that, we every year when we do, you know, we'll do like a thrash set, and then we'll also do like a standard Christmas carol, not well, like a carol, but like Christmas, you know, song. And you know, we'll death angel that up a bit, or we'll do it standard. And then we always take a Beatles song as well every year. We do a Beatles covered song that we throw in every year as well. But you know, it went from one night to two nights, and just uh, it, it's it's always a good time, and it's 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 all it's a little different than our typical, you know headlining show in San Francisco, but uh, it's always a good time. And people from, you know, all walks of life come to that one. It's just, it, it, it's a blast. Mm. Yeah. Now, you, you've probably spoken to some of the fans at it. What, what's the furthest you've heard that people have traveled for those shows? For the Christmas shows? Yeah. Oh, wow. We've had um, 
people travel from, uh, God, if, I, if, if I'm not mistaken, we've had people travel from Singapore for the wow. Christmas shows. And I think, I think that's the winning one. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We've had people travel from Singapore, yeah. Um, but on by road, you know, not by flying. We've had um, a couple of guys drive from Arkansas to San Francisco. Drove, yeah, nice. And just made a road made a road trip back and forth. You know, and stopped along the way, and you know, and I, uh, it, it's awesome. You know, mm. people do travel because it's fun. You know, it's fun set. We always try, and we always hand select the bills of the people who are going to, you know support us and whatnot and yeah it's it's it, 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 and we do limited edition shirts it's it's it, yeah it's, it's a good time for sure yeah and i believe you did the uh the whole dream calls for blood album and these shows just gone um what what made you pick that album to play the whole lot of it um actually the dream calls for blood what we've done we we actually did that it was it wasn't this year we did that maybe prior. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think it was maybe one of one of the years prior to this one. It wasn't this year, but you know, in all honesty, I do remember doing that. And then for that one, it's just that's such. To me, that's like my fate. That's my that's my crown jewel for me. Everyone has their <laughs> their favorite Death Angel record, and right now that's still sitting pretty at the top for me. Okay. But, uh, I wasn't the one who chose to do that, but right now that's still you know. My that's the one closest to my heart at the moment. Mm. Yeah. What What do you think, Mark, is the most underappreciated Death Angel record? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> underappreciated. Um, I think maybe if I really had to pick one that's underappreciated, I might have to go with uh, maybe Relentless Retribution, and and I only say that just because. There were some people that threw in the towel on the band because prior to that one, Andy and Dennis left. Mm-hmm. A lot of people didn't give, didn't, didn't give it a chance because they just assumed the band was dead dead in the water at that point. So I think it went over a lot of people's heads. But ironically, it's also the record that garnered us a whole slew of new fans, you know? So I think it's just, you know, that some people have gone back to listen to it that at first blew it off because they ended up becoming fans of Dream Calls for Blood or The Evil Divide, and then they went back to get it. But I think in its initial release, a lot of people just kind of wrote it off before it came out. Mm. So. When when you sat down to do that record, um, it's a little bit heavier than uh, The Art of Dying on, on, the, on the follow-up. Uh, was that a conscious decision, or did, you, did it just happen that way when you started writing the material? Uh, it was it was definitely a, a conscious effort, but it, I mean, not just for the simple fact that um, Rob wanted to write, a, you know, kind of uh, leaning towards Will and Damien's strengths, and you know, Will's much more of a thrash drummer than Andy was. Andy was much more of a rock kind of groove drummer, obviously a metal groove drummer too. You know, he had that that feel and that groove, and you know, but as far as pure thrash drumming goes, you know, Will's kind of a, a natural for that. And uh, Rob worked with that. And also once we realized we we're going to, we were going to work with Jason Sukoff, we just kind of thought like, this is, this is one to, you know, just go balls out. And ironically, even our definition of balls out isn't, you know, as extreme as some people, because we're just so addicted to melody <laughs> 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 that um, even us that are, you know, most savage, Still, we throw hooks and melody in there that you know that a lot of people who go to extremes that that's that's lacking to them, and they they find it light. <laughs> hmm. Mark, when when you look at the the band as a whole over the years compared to other bands, you've had relatively few lineup changes. What do you think? What do you attribute that to? Like the, a lot of other bands have had twice as many lineup changes as you guys. Like I could say Overkill, a band you're going to go out with soon. They've had a lot more guys pl- come in and out of that band than you guys have. You know, I, I guess one good reason is because we were broke up for ten years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that takes ten years out. That's true. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that might do it, and and, <laughs> and on a lighter note, maybe you know, I just um, we really, you know, we really, even though me and Rob are the last two original members, so to speak, we still kind of feel like you know it's a familial thing. You know, when we get together, we want everyone to be comfortable in this band, and uh, 
you know, we all live near each other and it's just, um, you know, and we still, when we even got Damien and Will in the band, it wasn't, in all honesty, it wasn't like we auditioned, you know, a hundred guys like some people do or had all these people submit. We kind of had an idea of like who we kind of wanted in the band already. So it was literally just like a suggestion. You you jam with two other people and we're just like, nah, okay. We went with our gut of who we really wanted. So um, it just kind of worked out that way. And, um, you know, we just, once we got them in, it was just kind of, you know, tidying up the lineup. And with them, we've toured more extensively than we have with any other lineup there has been. So it's really, really, we've really taken on that, you know, us against the world mentality when we get out there on stage. And, um, yeah, I think it's just, you know, really the bond with us is really going strong, especially when we're on stage. Obviously, you know, you're on tour for a long time together. You definitely want your your, your own space from everyone as well. <laughs> mm. I, I, I was going to ask you about how you get your own space, Mark, because when you guys came around a, a couple of years ago with Overkill, I interviewed Ted at, at the venue. And he told me that one of the ways he does it is he gets his camera and he walks around taking photographs. So, so how do you create your own space on the road? Uh, and, I, and I definitely need it, especially because I'm on the road for a great deal of time. And um, I, I, I'm trying to rest my voice as much as possible. So a lot of times in the daytime, I'm not really speaking, but people always forget that. And so they'll keep asking me questions. <laughs> <laughs> what, you know, <laughs> the one way is just I, I if we're on a long drive, I tend to I tend to literally sit in the lounge but I have my speakers right next to me and I just look out the window and look, get lost in the music and other than that when we're actually in towns I'll go um, I have my own little rituals you know I'll go on maybe I'll, I'll go on a run or I'll go find a place where there's you know a, a, an open area in the club where not everyone is and I'll you know I, I, I bring a mat so I can just, you know exercise and whatnot just to get get in my own headspace and somewhat try to stay on shape while on tour because it could be a very damaging place as far as diet and uh, um, drinks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in the daytime, you got to sweat it out before I get on stage. And then also, um, especially if we have a day off, I, I tend to, my one rule on days off is I tend to not hang out with anyone in the band. I, I've, we, I guess we've toured enough now for so a lot of cities. I actually have friends from you know prior years that I've met. And I'll meet up with them and we'll go out and do dinner and stuff. And I just kind of get away from the band. And if I don't know anyone in town, in all honesty, I'll just I'll get on my you know now the beauty of technology. Now I'll just get on my you know phone and just look up good restaurants and basically go wine and dine myself. Mm. You know, Mark, do you make have it a... back to the bus? Yeah, do, do you? The bus call. <laughs> Mark, do you have a favorite country you love revisiting that you've it's really touched you over the years that you can't wait to get back to it? It's so hard because you know we we we've toured pretty extensively and um we just we have friends all over so a lot of times it's based on friends a lot of times it's based on you know the crowds we play with but one we've always embraced would definitely be Holland because it's one of the places that we made friends with back in '87 the very first time. Mm-hmm. And, and then, God, it's so hard. Germany as well. I have a ton of friends there. It, 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 the list will just go on. Norway. <laughs> um, wow. Wow. I just, you know, I love going back to Brazil. and uh, Everywhere. But it sounds... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I love touring. I, I, I truly am one who, you know... I, I, yeah. If it, if it wasn't for just, you know... The, the simple fact that no one could tour constantly 365 days, and especially a singer, without blowing your voice out, I'd, 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 I'd tour as much as possible. Mm. I'm very, com- I'm very comfortable on the road. Yeah, you see, you're in a very unique situation being the singer because the other guys in the band they can kind of go off and do their own thing and then come back, and because all they got to do is play their instruments. But you kind of, in a way, you have to isolate yourself. But on the other hand, you might want to get out there and see the sights and all that, but because of what you, the nature of what you do, you kind of can't do that sometimes. Can that be frustrating? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and I do, I do like to get out there because I do want to experience the city that I'm in and whatnot. And, 
I do, but then sometimes I, it's just, I am I'm a slave to you know however my voice is feeling that day, you know. And at least I at least I listen to it now. Where a lot of times in, when I was younger, you don't have the wherewithal to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and now 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 I do, and it's it, you know it it it, it, it helps, but. It's a curse, and especially when people get sick, because since you're on a bus, you're you know someone gets sick, you just pass it all around. But when it finally gets around to me, it's the worst, you know. Because no matter we knock on wood, we only canceled one gig ever, and that was in 1988, I believe, one show in Germany. And I we didn't cancel; they played. I just couldn't think, you know. Okay. But okay. other than that, like I've gone on stage with strep throat, the flu, everything, you know, throwing up, you can imagine. Wow. So, so are you able to write on the road? You are, you are Rob, or could, do you just separate both of them? You got to write when you're at home and you got to, when you're on the road, that's it. You're just touring. Um, for the, we, that's how it kind of used to be, but for the, now, um, Rob has come up with a lot of risks now on the road. Definitely a lot of risks on the road. And, um, a lot of times he'll go over or a basic song structure and he'll start working out structures with the guys during sound check. But, you know, he does that. And for the, but still the majority does happen at home, but a lot of his riffs for the basic structures happen on the road. And then with me, you know, I, I kind of need isolation when I'm writing. So I have written songs on the road, lyric-wise, but it's, it's very few and far between. You know, it tends to be at home or, you know, someplace where I can have space from people. Mm, mm. So over the years, Mark, you've, you've been on a lot of bills. Is there any bill that stands out to you that's been really eclectic, that you, like you've had all different styles of bands on it and you're like, are we playing with these guys? You know, you kind of question it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, just because, I mean, European festivals have thrown us on with so many different people. It's been, you know, wild. I guess the the craziest one ever was probably when we played Ross Gilda, I believe it was 1988 in Denmark. And that was, gosh. So we were on Frolic Season Park tour and that, that bill was Sting in Excess, um, Soul Asylum. Wow. You know, we were really the only thrash band on that day. (laughs) And it was just, but it was spectacular. You know, it was absolutely, <laughs> absolutely spectacular. The crowd was wonderful. They ate us up. And it was, oh, yeah, it was like Sting in excess, Magnum. You know, just really, really, really odd bills. But, you know, it was incredible. That's probably the most far-fetched. But other than that, you know, we played with power metal bands on different festivals. And, you know, your, your, your glam rock bands on different festivals. You know, we've been on... It, it, it's just kind of wonderful because, you know, we've been on festivals with Aerosmith and things like that. Just, just wonderful. Mm. You know, we, we, we absorb it all. It's and music from all walks of life for sure. Yeah. And hopefully you get a chance to actually meet some of these guys. Yeah. You know, I still look up to so many of them. I've, I've, I've been fortunate enough to get to meet some of them. Some, some I've just, you know, seen from the photo pit playing, but which was an honor in its own right, but so much still yet to meet, but you know, I'm still, I'm still going. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, I want to ask you about a specific uh, tour. Um, I had Stefan Shirazi on the show. and oh, I love that man. We yeah. go way back. I love that man. Yeah. Now, you probably know where I'm going here. I asked him about a road trip from hell. And <laughs> you know what you, you said? The frolic one in Europe was the Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But one of the things he mentioned in that, and... He said that you got your head split open. Someone pushed you into a barrier on one of the shows. Uh, do you remember that? It was, you know, ironically, you know who it was that he was referring to was um, a photographer named Mark Lealoha, who he was traveling with. That's who it was, oh. who got his head split open. And so Mark Lealoha did, used to do some photography for Metallica as well. Um, so, and Mark and Stefan were... Originally in a van with us, but then they had to travel behind us in a car <laughs> to all these to all these uh, damn shows. But as Mark Leila, who was um, he was like the photojournalist for this story, and he was up front, and he got his head smashed in by a stage diver into the barrier. Wow! So, have yeah, you 
yeah. What's the worst injury you've ever suffered on stage? Has anyone ever like pushed you off the stage and you've hurt yourself? Anything like that? Um, I've, I've never been pushed off the stage. I've walked off the stage accidentally. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I've stepped right off into the photo pit once, but um, I didn't get injured. It was more of a shock. And then anything, all of a sudden I was laying up looking and security was looking down at me. And, you know, I got back up in time for the next verse. Um, I have, let's see, um, years ago, I believe it was in Portland, Oregon. It was before we were signed, and it was a show. It was Possessed, Us, and Wehrmacht. I think it was at the Pine Street Theater in Portland. And Dennis Peppa spun around with that, and his headstock smashed me in the face, and my nose exploded and was bleeding. Ooh. And, yeah, so other than that, um... But I guess that's probably the, like the worst injury on stage ever. You know, it's it, pretty standard. Other than that, you know, I've had that. Yeah, I've, I've been hit and I've hit people <laughs> <laughs> when, we were, when we were younger. You know, things like that. But <laughs> yeah, probably been base head stop. So I've been pretty fortunate in that in that aspect. Yeah. Have you ever stopped the show that you looked into the crowd and feared for someone's safety? Um, well, we have stopped the show because of people fighting, for sure. We've mm-hmm. definitely stopped the show for people fighting. Um, we have also, let's see, okay, again, we have, a show has been stopped twice for for us getting in a fight. Well, once for us getting in a fight is upstate New York. Getting in a fight on stage with security and it came to blow, we came to blow with security. This was like in 19... 19- 89, we got in a fight upstate New York somewhere, and that, we had to stop because obviously, you know, the fight broke loose with uh-huh. us and security. And then there was another one in Wales where I jumped off stage and got in a fight with some guy who was kept flipping Rob off and throwing beers at Rob, and that again was 1988. So yeah, it's been, not since the 80s, but we had, had we fought and that's about the show, but I stopped the show as recently as um, uh, when they played actually in Orlando, Florida on Slayer Anthrax Death Angel Run. So that was probably maybe about a year and a half, two, maybe two years ago now, Jesus. But I stopped the show during our set because two, two people were just getting a huge fight. And, you know, I, I don't like seeing that. Hmm. Oftentimes, though, Mark, when you're on the stage, you can't see the crowd. So someone has to tell you what's going on, really, a lot of the time. Yeah, but for the most part, I really, really try to really, you know, connect with the crowd. So I try to look farther than my line of vision, which you would imagine. So I, I absorb pretty well. And I do look towards balconies and whatnot. I'm always trying to, you know, connect with someone, not just not just a few first row. But I, I try to, you know, connect with people out there I'll see by the, by the bar or even by the, uh, you know, the soundboard. If I see someone wearing a death shirt, you know, throwing their arm up, I'll point at them and throw my arm up and, you get that moment of connection, you know, you can see them high-five with their friends, and it's cool. So, you know, I can see farther than people, most people would think. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe we're just not big enough yet to have those blinding lights. And <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Mark, I want to spend a minute or two talking to you about Jason Sukoff. Um, mm-hmm. You've done a few records with him now. Uh, compare him working with you now to Nick Raskalinitz. What's the big difference between the two of them? Wow. Um, yeah, and I, I, I absolutely love Jason. I absolutely love Nick. But they have, absolutely. And respect, you know, their work immensely. Yeah. Two completely different animals, for sure. For sure. For, you know, for one, Jason's insane. <laughs> Cl- Jason's clinically insane, so to speak. <laughs> I don't know if he's diagnosed that way, but he absolutely is. <laughs> okay. And it's just kind of, uh, it, the studio environment is kind of based out of his, you know, a studio built out of his, his, his house, his house and his complex, and it's all internalized there. And, um, yeah, it, it's, how would I say, um, yeah, it, it, it's more just the attitude, and he's just extremely, he, he's fun to work with, and he's absolutely, you know, I said he's nuts, but once he gets behind the board, his ear is impeccable, you know? Um, um, how did Mark? How, did, how, did, how, how does he push you, Jason, 
to get a better performance out of you? What, what, how does he push your buttons? Well, you know, it, in all honesty, you'll be like, damn, that's lame. We're <laughs> 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 usually going on, you know, whether it's lyrically or um, when I'm trying to get, you know, aggression going, you know, we, you know, it, we know each other so well now, so well. You know, but it doesn't, you know, the studio gets very tense and it always will. So there's, there's points where, you know, me and him ought to storm out pissed off and come back in still pissed off. But, you know, he'll get out of me what he wants to get out of me, or at least I get out of me what I want to get out of me. So, yeah, it, it's pretty spectacular. But, and then Nick, Nick's just pro as they come. Nick Rascal is pro as they come, but at the same time, one of the most down-to-earth, real people you will ever meet in your life. You know, and just an absolute genius and knows everything there need be know about the studio and just uh, a, a gem of a man who's got a sense of reality, which I love. And of course, you know, his work speaks for itself, his body of work. Mm. What about someone like Max Norman now? Like, could you compare, uh-huh. Jay- could you compare Jason to him or are they two completely different animals altogether? They're two completely different species, yeah. <laughs> now, mind you, Jason, Jason could sit down and have a conversation with any of these guys. That's, that's the beauty of it. You know, he's very intelligent and well-spoken and well-versed when it comes to studio stuff. But he also, you know, goofs off constantly, you know. But he can talk and talk with everyone. And it, it's, I think he just like scooping off with the musicians who are there because it's his way of kind of connecting. But when you get him on the phone with other people that are producers and engineers and whatnot, you know, he can go right into that that element and speak the language where, you know, I get lost in that. Okay. But, you know, Matt, working, working with Max Norman was, you know, a dream come true for all of us, you know, when we, when we were fortunate enough to get to do it on Act 3 because, you know, he, to us, it was just, you know, he did Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman. We're going to work with Max Norman. Absolutely. So I just want to spend a minute talking to you, Mark, about Metal Allegiance. Um, I had Alex on the show when the album came out, and he said to me that when you're the really the go-to singer now for the band when they do any shows. Um, did you lobby for that? You know, no, I did not lobby for that. <laughs> I'm not compl- I'm, mind you, I'm not complaining about I, it either. But <laughs> I wouldn't blame you because that, that's a great gig. It truly is, and I love the guys, and it was something that, you know, years ago when they started doing it as Metal Masters, and eventually, you know, all these shows would happen with, you know, things like this would happen, like at, at these underground metal award shows, they'd get together, and I remember thinking, I don't know one ever asked anyone from, you know, from Death Angel, or no one ever really asked how many Bay Area guys, <laughs> and then one day I got a call, and it was Mark put the, you know, the whole thing together, and people kept planting, you know, my name in his ear. It started with Chris Broderick, actually. And then eventually, um, uh, Charlie Benante and Frankie Bello, they all started saying, you know, you should get Mark. Try Mark. Try Mark. You know? And then one time, um, what was the first gig I did with him? Jeez. Oh, it was, I think it was, yeah, it was, uh, um, a House of Blues gig down at the NAM near the, you know, the NAM convention that happened. Uh-huh. And I went down and I did it. And of course, the first show I ever had to do with him, I woke up that day was strep throat. So, just, <laughs> Jesus Christ, just awful. Like the worst thing. And I was like, okay, I'm you know, you know, the person no one knows in the room, the least popular guy in the room. And I'm, I want to, you know, my thing was I want to floor everyone in the crowd. Be like, whoa, who the hell was that guy? And I had to do Stargazer by Purple and uh, what the hell else? Or I mean, or Stargazer by Rainbow and. um some Maiden song, you know, these crazy, you know, vocal gymnastic songs and mm-hmm. the strep throat. But I still went for it, but it still wasn't that triumphant, you know, show I wanted. But then shortly after that, we played a show on Ship Rock, and that that was the crowning jewel for me. That's the one. After we did that, they were like, "Oh, whoa!" And I think um, they when they first were doing these shows before I had done it, they weren't used to someone. As they say, you know, a lot of Portnoy was doing a lot of this talking between bands and whatnot. They weren't really used to having someone, and granted, they always had amazing singers come in and sing, but they weren't used to someone actually taking the show and all of a sudden fronting the band. You know, and that's something that comes, that's like second nature to me. And it kind of, like, it kind of took them to a surprise, and it's something they all were 
very fond of, and they started using me in the studio, and we go in there, and luckily it's stuck, and they you know still love using me, and I, I love being used by them. So <laughs> <laughs> you know what I think is great but, about you know what I think is great about that, Mark, that that whole Metal Allegiance thing. It's like four kids, five kids getting together who still have that love of old school metal, and they're actually making time out to actually write music like that. It's, it's you know, it's like they've gone through the whole ringer with the music industry, but yet that passion is still there with every one of you guys. Oh, absolutely, and it's such a and it's such a good time when we get together. You know, this latest record they had, you know, because they had the different singers and whatnot, and with technology, a lot of the guys. That's just how working with people is in the studio now. You can have your guy, you know, record you and you just fly it in or, you know, email your tracks in and they all kind of paste it together. And with a couple of tracks on this latest record they did, they said, you know, do you have a guy out there? Or, you know, if you want, you come out to New York. If you want, we have a guy out here. And I was like, you know, fuck it, I'll fly to New York. I want to I wanna feel like I'm a part of it. <laughs> so I went out. And, you know, I have a shit ton of friends in New York, so I just went out and stayed with some friends. But, I, you know, got my own ticket, flew out there and just hung out in the studio with those guys and sang a couple of songs and it was a blast. You nice. know, I, I love being a part of it. And and, they, and it's because, you know, the project's so fun, you want to feel a part of it. And that's, that's, that's good. But except that the irony is now we have this upcoming tour, Death Angel does, but it falls in line with uh, the five-year anniversary, like four shows that Metal Legions is doing on the West Coast that I can't be a part of for the first time. And, you know, it, it, it's sad for both of us. I get texts from Maggie saying, Oh, it's not going to be the same without you. And I'm like, yeah, this is bad timing, you know? And it's so hard to put that, to get that band on the road to actually do multiple dates in a row is so hard because, you know, I call it the 30 headed monster because everyone's in so many different bands. It, it's hard to really, you know, get a span of time where everyone can do these gigs. Yeah. Someone's always going to be a, affected or missing it's always mm. going to be the case yeah true um, do you want to give out all the social media sites where people can get in touch with the band sure sure yeah okay yeah so Mark, this is Mark from Death Angel right here you can always stay in touch with the band on www.deathangel.us and also you know we have a Facebook page obviously Death Angel you can find it <laughs> Death Angel Official on Instagram and um, apparently we have a Twitter page that Ted kind of looks over, so I, I've never seen it, so I've never been on Twitter, but there you go. I guess you just got to type in Death Angel if you're on Twitter, and it will appear. Here, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mark, sometimes you're better off not being on all the social media sites. Exactly. Because <laughs> you, you want a life. <laughs> so, so listen, Mark, I'm, I'm hoping to get to the show in Boston uh, with, when you're out with Overkill, so hopefully I get to say hello oh, to you. Yeah, hell of a lineup. That'd be great. Yeah, That'd ki- be great. Yeah, hell of a lineup, and the Boston shows are always mental, you know. Yeah. All right, Mark. Well, I'll leave you go, and uh, thanks for giving me some time today. Have a good rest of the day. I appreciate it. You as well. All right, Mark. Take care. Bye. Uh-huh. Bye now. Hey, everybody. This is Jordan Rudis from the group Dream Theater. I have a new solo album out called Wired for Madness. And you are listening to Focus on Metal. Enjoy. Gordon? Hi, Richie. How are you? I'm good. It's nice to talk to you again. You're not going to remember me. <laughs> Sorry, I don't. Where are you located? I am just outside of Boston. Um, I did my first in-person interview with you at the, uh, in the hotel in Boston just before you played The Astonishing a couple of years ago. Okay, good. So, I, I, I wasn't sure where I was. I mean, it seemed like a U.S. number. I honestly wasn't sure where I was calling. No, I, I get that a lot. Like I'm, um, I've been living over here nine years. Oh, okay. So cool. I'm, I'm originally from Ireland. I'm sure you can tell. I can hear the very nice accent. Yeah, and it's St. Pa- Patrick's Day this Sunday, so I'm happy. <laughs> All right, there you go. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for uh, taking the time out to do this today. Yeah, no problem. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. No problem. So have you, uh, have you started rehearsals for the the Dream Theater tour yet? We did because it's coming up very soon. The first show is on the twentieth. Okay, and you're you're yeah, re- we, you're ready to go. Almost. We had five days of uh, well, yeah, rehearsals. Some of that was moving gear around and stuff. But uh, and now we got a couple more what they call production rehearsals before we start up on uh, on the first show on the twentieth in San Diego. Okay, and what are you playing? A three-hour show, the usual. Um, it should be, uh, something like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It'd be pretty deep. This first set is going to be like 
the new album catalog stuff and the second set will be um like scenes from all the scenes from a memory wow the last time you probably played that was when that record came out the whole thing no i think we played it once before i don't remember the year right at this moment but we have played it but uh, never done it you know this is the anniversary of it we've never done a tour uh with it like this so it's going to be pretty exciting yeah does, does stuff like that come back to you pretty easily um easily i wouldn't use that word i wouldn't i can't necessarily relate to that but you know it does come back it's funny like you know i'll I'll start to think about it and it'll be kind of like it'll be at first and it'll feel like it's very far from my mind and as i kind of live with it and hear the song a bunch of times the things do come back and that's i'm really grateful for that because otherwise it would be even more work um the hardest part of it actually for me is the you know it's the sound because i built all these sounds like to play it you know live and because i used older technology i was i had to work a bit to make sure that i could try to get back as much data you know as possible so i wouldn't have to kind of like recreate the wheel mm-hmm. so um so i had a little bit of success um with that even though i had some challenges too because that just a very quick story about that is i went i went to my original or the last keyboard that I played any of the scene stuff on, and it wouldn't start up. The drive would start. This is such an old uh, keyboard. So I had to kind of, you know, just find the files a different way. Hmm. How, how do you resist um, changing up the parts on that when you play it live? That over the years, you might, you obviously think back to stuff that you recorded, and you might think, hmm, yeah. I could maybe change that up a little bit when I play it. I'm not happy with this part here. Is that something that's hard to resist doing? Um, you know, the, um, what I usually do, what I have done for this tour is not so much change the parts because the parts are, you know, it's a classic album, I guess, at this point, and people want to hear it a certain way. But what I have done is I'll almost like refresh the parts. I'll, I'll, I'll get sounds like, let's say, for example, if I use a string sound, I might have a better string sound now because years have passed and technology has gotten better or I've gotten smarter with programming that's more the experience. And so I'll tweak things to where I feel like they'll work better and I'll try to up the game a little bit, you know, make it even grander or even just the fact that I'll have another chance to kind of look at things and go, you know what, if I had panned that a little bit or if I turned up, uh, you know, the, the equalization on my string part, it would have been, it would have been, you know, even, even cooler. So that's the kind of thing I'll do. Yeah. Yeah. Now w- that was your first record with, with the band and, I know when when you got Mike Mangini in, uh, you you got all these different drummers in, and and they were given a certain number of songs to learn. Uh, can you remember what songs they gave you to learn when you joined the band for the audition? Yeah, I had learned. Uh, I remember a couple of them. I learned "Take the Time" and I learned "Pull Me Under." I think there's one other one I don't remember, but those two were the ones that they gave me. And then uh, when I went for the audition, I actually tried to teach them a little bit of my song called "Over the Edge." Okay. And uh, did, do you remember them filming your audition at all? Is is there a video of it out there anywhere that hasn't been released? So. No? No, I don't think there is. No. no. Okay. In those days, that's not where our heads were at. Yeah, yeah. So, can you remember a record, a Dream Theater record, Jordan, where you you felt really comfortable being in the band? I, I don't know whether it was the scenes one that, that was it, that... You felt comfortable submitting your ideas, maybe critiquing someone else's ideas. Is the one album that stands out to you that you, you felt right? I'm I'm in the band now. I can say what I want, really. I can say what I want. Um, well, without repro, you well, know what I mean. You were comfortable saying what you felt. Yeah, right, right. Um, well, the you know, the first album scenes that the energy around that is that I was very excited. I was very inspired. I had a lot of ideas. You know, just energy to go in there and you know, offer things, make things happen. But that album was also an album where I was figuring out the parameters of the band and, you know, what would what would be okay to offer, what wasn't okay, you know, just kind of all that stuff. So I wouldn't point to that one and say that that one was incredibly comfortable, but I'd point to that one and say that was very inspired just because of, the you know, something new. Um, but after that album, I kind of quickly figured out the lay of the land, if you will. And... It started to feel, you know, a lot more comfortable. Um, so I didn't, I, I would say that starting from six degrees, has been, you know, really um, feeling, 
you know, in tune with everybody and, and, and you know, comfortable. Mm. I, I think when I spoke to you the first time, uh, you were very, very proud of uh, the second part of this uh, Six Degrees, the, the 42-minute piece of music. So maybe that's probably what you're you're hinting at now. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's still one of my favorite parts that we've done together. Mm-hmm. So, so looking back, Jordan, at the at the astonishing for a second, w- was that more grueling in reality than you thought going into it? Um, the astonishing was a lot of work. Uh, it was all, you know, um, inspiring work because the way the album that got written was it was basically just John Petrucci and I in, uh, you know, in a control room of a studio with our, our instruments writing music, um, and it was. It was um, it was a great project, you know. We would go every day. We would just chip away at it, and you know, write this story and write this music. And uh, uh, I'm also, you know, really proud of what we did there. Mm. So, do you think the style of the new record and the way you recorded it is is a direct reaction of of the way you did the astonishing? That you just needed to do something completely different. Well, when we came upon the astonishing, we felt like you know we had our career was at a point where we just wanted to, you know, do something different. Um, you know, the band's been together for so many years and we, we felt like it was a good time to try something that was, uh, inspiring to us and felt creative and cool. And, and we went for it. Um, and, uh, and I'm just so happy that we did. We also, you know, we're not blind and we knew that that album would, you know, appeal to a bunch of people, but maybe not so much to some other people. Um, because it's kind of sensitive and emotional and, you know, it's got metal parts, but it's, uh, but it also has a lot of other stuff and more dynamics than most of the other music that we put out, which tends to be a little bit more heavy in general. Um, but the new record, you know, now that we got the astonishing kind of out and, uh, we got to enjoy that, you know, that kind of creativity coming back to it, we were kind of like, first of all, we wanted to get everybody in the band more engaged. It was just a natural kind of, you know, thing to do because the astonishing was so unusual. Um, so, yeah, we decided to just go for more of a core kind of foundation sound for Dream Theater and get back to the roots. Mm. Is there much of a difference, Jordan, between going somewhere and living with each other and recording and then being on the road with the, with the band guys? Well, you know, being out there, uh, we, we rented this barn space that was converted into a kind of, uh, rehearsal studio, if you will. And, um, we had the intention of just writing music there. And when we're on the road, it's more about, um, you know, we're just on tour and we're just playing shows day to day. And if we get any, any creative time at soundcheck, that's great. But, uh, being, being, living with the guys in a, you know, out at a barn, it was uh, it, it was a whole different thing. It was really productive because we were just hanging out there was no distractions, and uh, we just got a lot done. Uh, we also enjoyed it a lot too. Mm. Can you can you remember the? Uh, I don't know whether you'd be able to remember this, but can you remember the first music or the first song you wrote for the record? Because often that can set the tone for the rest of the record. Oh well, we were kind of. I don't remember exactly. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. I don't want to guess, but we um, we definitely knew what we wanted to create in there, like what kind of flavor we wanted to go for. We wanted to do something that was heavier, you know, more direct, shorter songs. We had a whole we had a whole plan. Mm-hmm. So, so what comes first? Then is it normally a guitar riff from John, or is it a, something from you, or even even a, a drum part from Mike? Um, yeah, it, it can go any which way. If John has some particular inspiration, has a riff, he can show that. A lot of times I'll have some kind of a keyboard thing that I've got in mind. Um, you know, on this album, Mike Mangini had some ideas that he brought forward, which was great. Um, so yeah, it really comes from, uh, it comes from anywhere. And when we're in the middle of writing, you know, we'll write sec- kind of like section by section. And maybe if Don comes up with something on the guitar, then it'll inspire me to come up. It'll trigger something in me. I'll say, oh, how about going into this next? And then maybe it'll go back to him. So we feed off of each other a lot when we're writing and then help each other as well with, you know, harmonic changes and and uh, and, and all that type of thing. Hmm. So is it always the music first and the lyrics second? When it you're is, r- yeah. We, we write our music 
first and then then we go in and we kind of like do the vocal melodies and then the then the lyrics come mm. how, how do you decide who writes the lyrics because on this record I think all of you guys wrote lyrics except you. So does do, 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 do all the guys write lyrics for each song and you pick one from one guy, or, or how does that all work? Well, um, I guess you could say that John Bertucci is kind of the main lyric writer. It's been that way for a while. But in this album, the other guys wanted, you know, um, definitely wanted to write some lyrics. Um, so, you know, people, people, I guess, request to write a song, to write whatever they want, and then it'll go from there. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so you don't, you haven't any lyrics on this album. Uh, any particular reason why? Or are you just not comfortable writing lyrics? Well, um, I have I haven't written any lyrics for Dream Theater. I mean, I wasn't really hired as a lyricist for Dream Theater. I was hired to be a keyboardist and a composer. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the role that I'm comfortable with in this group. And then, and then, and I don't really I don't have a special desire to write lyrics for dream theater so but i like to write lyrics and i i you know for example i just wrote all the lyrics for my solo album so mm-hmm. but i enjoy it's just not my role it's not a role that i you know take in in dream theater okay now you got hugh syme again to do the artwork um when he's doing the illustrations which are fantastic by the way on all the albums he's done with you guys uh, what's he going off? Does he have the music, or is it? Does he have song titles, or, or how does that work? Um, he has. Uh, he'll, he'll get like song titles and kind of the flavor of what what it is as much as possible at the time that he's doing it. Um, there's not a whole lot of information besides just you know just talking about it and kind of you know that type of thing. Hmm. We, we usually don't let out a lot of uh, you know musical information before it's before it's ready. Mm. Is there a lot of back and forth, do you know, with him? Like when he submits something, it's like, no, can you change this? Or can you maybe, yeah, that's okay. Is is there a lot of communication between you guys with him? Well, I, mostly it's communication with John Petrucci, who produced the album. So he, I think he goes back and forth quite a bit. Mm. Mm. So I just got a couple of more Dream Theater questions, John, before I get into the, the solo album a little bit. Um, okay. You've do, you've done the, the astonishing show, and you've done our shows with orchestras, and and you know you've done your regular shows, your evening off shows. But have you ever talked about maybe doing an acoustic show, where you just play piano to some of the Dream Theater songs? Um, yeah, well, we have spoken about that, but there's nothing planned at the moment to do that. But the idea has definitely come up. It would be fun to do that one day. Hmm. Mm. So I, I know John has produced a lot of the records. Or uh, in, in the last like twenty years since you joined, are being heavily involved in it. Um, if you were to work with an outside producer, who would you personally like to work with? Is there any names that come to mind, e- either on your solo stuff or with Dream Theater? Um, yeah, I, you know, I'm always a big fan of Stephen Wilson, and I would, you know, he's so musical and creative that I would welcome him to produce anything that I was involved in. Okay, so he's he's be the only name on your list. I haven't really thought. If you gave me time, I might come up with a bigger list, but he's definitely the one I can think of at the moment. Okay, okay. Well, normally I ask the drummers this question, Jordan, but I'm going to ask you, um, have you ever suffered an injury on stage to your hand or your fingers that's hampered you being able to play a live show? Uh, No, I've never experienced that. I'm pretty good at taking care of my hands, so I avoid uh, problems. But uh, and and knock on wood, you know, has been the accident <laughs> that pre- prevented me from, uh, from playing a show. Yeah. What What do you do normally to warm up before a show? Do you have a particular routine that takes a while to do? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I'll practice. Um, I'll try to warm my hands first because I don't like to practice cold. That doesn't really help very much. So whatever I can do to get my hands warm. And then I'll practice at the keyboard slowly. I'll get started until I'm feeling loose, and then I'll do more complex things. Uh, and 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 doing some stretching as well, because that that helps a lot. It just kind of loosen up the body because a lot of times we'll be playing perhaps in front of a lot of people, and the nerves can kick in. You don't want to get tense, so you want to try to keep as loose as possible so your physical body works to play, you know, the riffs uh, as well as you can. So, yeah, a combination of keeping warm, practicing, and stretching 
you know, and sometimes the backstage areas and situations and or climate or whatever is not ideal. So it doesn't always happen that I'll be able to do what I really need to do. But but that's what I try for. Mm-hmm. So so let's talk for a minute, Jordan, about the uh, your new solo album coming out, Word for Madness, on on the nineteenth of April. Um, I know one of the Dream Theater albums came out a few years ago, and and James Labrie had his solo album out more or less at the same time. You're kind of in the same boat. Is that something you're you're okay with, or would you rather it was like released later in the year? Um, well, originally my album was supposed to come out before the Dream Theater album, but. Uh, we discussed it with both labels, the Dream Theater label and my solo album, uh, Mascot, and we all decided that would make a lot of sense to wait until after the Dream Theater album was released to re- then release my album. So this is the timing that everybody preferred. So uh, as long as everybody's happy, uh, I think that it's going to be great timing. Hmm. Are you going to be able to do any shows at all to promote it in between Dream Theater shows, or are you fully booked um, up? Yeah, well, my touring schedule with Dream Theater is very extensive right now, so I haven't been able to you know, plan out a time yet. I'm waiting to figure out more of what's coming in the schedule. But uh, I'll definitely look for you know for the possibility of, uh, of doing some shows to support it. I've got to figure out how. So, uh, but it's on my mind. It, you know, at some point, I'll do something to live to promote it. Mm. Can you tell me about the, your select your pro- thought process for selecting the guests that played on, on the album? I know John and, and um, James are on it, but like, like you've, you've got like Vinnie Moore on it and Rod Morgenstein. Did you want guys that you knew, or you were just a fan of them? Or, or what well, was I've had, yeah, yeah, I've had guys that I've had so much success with that I enjoy working with. And so in that case, I'll go back to them, like Rod Morgenstein, who's just a phenomenal drummer and so easy to work with. Uh, and I just love, you know, the results I get. So um, that's an example of, a, you know, of somebody who's a friend of mine who I've been working with for years that we have a musical bond together. So I'll definitely go back to him. Um, other guys like Marco Miniman, uh, you know, I, I knew about Marco's playing even before he did the Dream Theater audition. And I thought he was great. That's the reason he came into audition, and after uh, you know, and I, and I, you know, I just felt a real uh, connection with Marco Miniman and his playing and his musicality. So we've we've maintained you know this wonderful musical connection. We've done two albums with Eleven Miniman Rudis project, uh, and now you know he's played on. He also played drums on this album, and then um, you know everybody's different. Like got. You know, Guthrie Govin is somebody who I respect so much. He's an incredible, you know, one of the world's greatest guitar players. And, you know, I, I'm just happy that he has time and wants to play on my solo stuff. And that's great. And then, like, there's uh, Mariana Samkina, who's from the group I Am The Morning, who has such a beautiful voice. And uh, I met her a couple of years ago, and I just thought that it would be great to have her included. And then, you know, like, uh, Joe Bonamassa is playing on the album, and Joe I don't know as well, although I met him uh, a few years ago. Uh, but when it came time to do the record uh, on Mascot, I was excited because I knew that Joe is one of Mascot's top artists. And I thought, wow, this might be a great opportunity to uh, to work with him, and I could do something that is kind of like a blues track, although uh, the song is called Just Can't Win. It's more like a proggy blues tune. So... Um, yeah, so that's so he, you know, he agreed to play on it, and that was cool and kind of different. Um, and uh, who else is doing it? And then I have uh, the Page Brothers singing background vocals. And there's some young guys I've known for years, and they're just I've watched their career kind of blossom, and they uh, they did a great job singing all the back backing vocal parts. Um, Elijah Wood, who is the daughter of my friend Mark Wood, the electric violinist, and a really great. Uh, drummer uh, played on a couple of tunes on the album as well, and uh, Jonas Rangold, who was the bass player for the Flower Kings, and uh, um, you know he played a little bit of bass on it. And um, yeah, so some, those are some of the guests. Yeah, Jordan, was there anyone that you really wanted to get on the record that, for whatever reason, wasn't able to do it? Um. No, actually, everybody that I wanted to to be on it was able to do it. The only one that I thought might really not be able to do it was Joe Bonamassa, just because he's so busy. 
but he is one of the ones who wrote back to me the fastest and said that he wanted to do it. So. Nice, nice. So, what what can you put on your solo record that you think? What style of music you can put on your solo record that you you can't bring to Dream Theater, or is there is there any restrictions like that with Dream Theater? Right. Well, you know, Dream Theater is a very kind of open band stylistically. Uses yeah. a lot of different influences for mm-hmm. sure. But you know, my musical life is a little bit unusual in that I'm very I come from a very broad musical background everything from classical to you know new agey stuff to a little bit of jazzy stuff to electronic so a lot of the styles that i play that i'm interested in are not part of dream theater's um mixture of sounds i guess or genres even though it's quite wide so the solo albums allow me to express myself in ways that you know that would never go into a dream theater album even like even styles that are related to rock uh that i do that dream theater doesn't really do so much but occasionally a little bit like an example being i'm very influenced by groups like gentle giant you mm. know, and and the gentle and occasionally in the dream in the course of dream theater's uh career i've you know kind of like interjected some things that are a little bit gentle giant like here and there but there's not a lot of that um so that's an example of, you know, the things that would not go on a Dream Theater record that could come out of my mind that would go on my solo album. So anything electronic, anything that's proggy in that, in that you know, that kind of way. Um, classical, some classical ideas. Uh, it's, it's, it's important for me to do solo albums. Just because who I am and the kind of music that I, you know, musical scope that I, that I um, have as part of my life. Hmm. Um, at the same time, you know, when it comes to doing a Dream Theater album, as I said, there is definitely flexibility. It's just that, you know, the solo album route is something that is like almost like necessary for me to discuss what I do as a musician. Hmm. Do, do you just, when you're writing music, are you writing with a particular hat on for a particular project or you just write music in general all the time? When I'm writing music, well, I well, certainly am very aware of what I'm writing for. Like if I'm in the studio writing with Dream Theater, I'll try to be conscious of the of what the stylistic concept is. So it's almost like a you know it's a particular um, role as a composer in that sense, and I kind of can I can tell if I kind of go at it's e- it's easy for me to like go out of it. Sometimes I'll offer things to Dream Theater that I th- uh, that I know might be a little bit like you know, a little bit unusual that people might look at me with kind of a, you know, slanted head or like, what the hell is that? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'll take the chance because I want to see Dream Theater, uh, you know, push the limits on, uh, you know, in all stylistic directions. I'm not as much of the, like, uh, the stylistic policeman as, you know, as other people that, that are more, more, um, concerned with like keeping the band in a particular zone for me, I think. And also my role, I think is to kind of offer things that are, you know, like different and Jordan like or whatever. So I'll occasionally I'll offer something that even if I think, well, they might not like this, but you know, yeah, <laughs> we'll give it a try. <laughs> so. Have you ever done anything on any of your solo stuff or, or projects outside dream theater and the band have heard it and said to you, why didn't you submit that to us that it might've fit on a record? <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Um, I can't remember exactly if that's ever happened, but I'm sure there's parts, you know, that, that are on the record that they would have, <laughs> you know, that they enjoy. Okay. Okay. So final question for me, Jordan. Um, what do you think is the most underappreciated Dream Theater record you've played on? Underappreciated? Hmm. Well, I mean, I, even though I kind of saw it coming, I mean, I think that the, the astonishing, you know, is, is the, maybe a little underappreciated, but, uh, but, uh, but, but like, you know, understanding who the fans are, the, you know, the, the fans that we've developed over the years, you can, you can understand why this happened this way, that the astonishing was polarizing. Um, but from a musical point of view, uh, you know, I think the astonishing is one of our very best, um, you know, musical pieces of work. And it was certainly our most elaborate and coolest production to date. So I, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen in the test of time. It would be cool if, in, you know, if in years it gets, you know, if that album can get some more 
appreciation, which it might or maybe it might not. But anyway, I definitely feel that that one is one that, you know, I would have liked to even see more of a positive uh, reaction. Mm. Do, do you think the album with the sco- a scope like that is something that you're either going to do the whole thing again or you're never going to do it at all live? Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever do it again. And the sad part is that we never filmed, you know, we didn't do a real film of it or anything. So it's, you know, if you saw it, then great. Then you have, you know, you can have that memory, but I don't know if it'll ever happen again. Okay, okay. Well, thanks for the time. And uh, I hope to go see the show in Boston soon enough. So I might be able to say hello to you again. Cool. Thank you so much for your support, man. I appreciate it. All right, Jordan. Have a good rest of the day. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right, Metalheads, that is a wrap for this week. And again, if you want to pre-order Humanicide, I would urge you to go up to uh, deathangel.us. And from there, there's links to get uh, all kinds of different bundles for Humanicide. And if you're looking at getting the new Dream Theater album, then you can also head up to uh, to Dream Theater's site, dreamtheater.net. From there, there's also a link to go over to Century Media, where they have a whole bunch of different bundles there as well, CD and vinyl bundles. But I will say that the uh, collector's box set is already sold out. And if you head up to jordanrudess.com, you can order up your own copy of Wired for Madness. So, hope you guys enjoyed this week's show. Not quite sure what is in store for next week. It's uh, probably one of two things. I've uh, been trying to work with an artist to get them on the show. I was hoping to actually get them on this week and pair them with Jordan Rudess, but that didn't quite happen. But uh, still chasing them a little bit. And if I manage to uh, get in touch with them and our schedules sync up, then I uh, may have another, uh, another one of the uh, more current episodes. And if not, then we are going to launch right into some uh, some focus on classic metal for a few weeks. And Richie teased this on Facebook and Twitter a few weeks back when he was giving out some of the schedule coming up and talking about going back and talking about some of the artists from, from the 80s and 90s and some of their albums that are coming up for anniversaries. So we have uh, several weeks worth of shows that uh, we're going to bring to you for the uh, the rest of April and in through May, almost like I mentioned before, almost like a focus on classic metal extravaganza for a month, month and a half. So tune back in here next week and you'll see which one of those two things falls out. But uh, in the meantime, you can always keep up with us as well as go back and hear all of our past episodes over at focusonmetal.net. You go over to focusonmetal.blogspot.com. We have all of our show notes and that good stuff. And Richie's always over there on Facebook. I'm always on Twitter. But for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.